mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm really warm, actually. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's quite a hot room. It's muggy. Right it is hot in here. And it's uh, it's uh, English summertime, so it's been incredibly hot. It's been a heat wave, Rob. It has it's been, been a heat wave. A heat wave. And um, <laughs> I've actually been by the seaside, but even there, it was still like where 30... Where by the seaside? Tell us where. I'm not going to tell you where. It's top secret. People, <laughs> you have to knows. listen to other episodes and find out. We're not allowed to mention anything. But by the seaside, you've had a breeze, yeah? Yeah, but even in like our office at the gallery, mm. it was 36 degrees inside. So I, we don't, ended so up... I don't understand temperature. Somebody said the other day, you have to times it by two and add 32, <laughs> and it becomes Fahrenheit. I just can't get it my head around. I'm crap at maths. Aww. It feels too technical for me. Okay. Anyway, where are we today, Rob? We are in East London. Ooh. I got the train to Stratford this morning. Oh, my God. And um, I arrived before you and actually sat, out, sat outside <laughs> on the Always. street because it was just so hot. It's muggy. Muggy's the word I'd use. Muggy. Mm. So today we are going to meet a British artist who is best known for his sculptural installations that generate audio compositions. Um, and he combines audio with, uh, like objects i guess mm-hmm. but often the objects are functional and have a purpose to them and will help to generate sound which is a major concern um and i first discovered his work through i think the zabadovich collection or even david roberts maybe like a mm-hmm. long 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 time ago and i remember going into one of the installations i think it might have been two works at um in chalk farm at zabadovich collection mm-hmm. and I was just totally touched That's Gallery by this 176, work. Yeah. yeah, and what I loved about the work was the use of light as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of it is to do with sound, but it's also to do with light. And there's a lot of um, videos and um, you know, it's clips. incredibly sensory. Isn't yes, it? It exactly. All the senses, and it's it's the word I had written down is experience. It's an experience to encounter this artist's work. So we're very honoured to have today with us on Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Haroon Mirza. Nice to be here in my studio <laughs> with yes. you guys. Yes. Welcome. Thanks for welcoming us here. Yeah. Thanks for having Your us. The studio is yeah. super cool. On the outside, it says HRM199. Yeah, but it's super hot because it retains the heat, as you can probably tell. Um, it's like 30 degrees in here, 28. Um, but yeah. Did you welcome. build this space? We did, yeah. Um, we uh, found this space... Um, with another artist, Shazar Darwood, who's our neighbour. Oh, right. Well, he found this space and he basically said, look, um, do you want to go twos up on a studio? And we were like, yeah, sure. It was a big 6,000 square foot space and um, neither of us could afford it by ourselves. So we did it together. But it was really cheap because it has this sort of like weird cap, a rental cap right. on it. So developers don't want to touch it. But so this is perfect. what it looked like because we're in no, a space. No, no, no. It was, it was just... A screed floor and a and that and a roof. concrete ceiling. Yeah, there was no facade, there was no walls. Wow! How long ago was that? A couple of years ago now. Wow! Yeah, I love the concrete. Actually, it's a 
really beautiful aesthetic throughout the building. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have all these like pillars. There's still like the builders' marks everywhere. You know, there's like sums and stuff on some of the walls. Oh God, like lengths of them. So as yeah. Russell mentioned, on the front door of this building, you actually have the the letters HRM one one nine one nine nine. Oh, sorry, one nine nine. HRM one nine nine. And um, can you explain a bit about how that came about to do a collaboration? Yeah, that was um, the 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 word actually comes from my um, the email address that was given to me when I went to Winchester School of Art. That was you know they they give you a code basically. So I was coded, uh, numbered, and um, and what it you kind mean? of Sorry, you know you like you know when you go to university. I went to art school and they gave me they so give you an email address. Win- yeah, that, Winchester. Okay. Yeah, when I did my BA. And they give you an email address, right. but they don't give you Haroon at Sutton.ac.uk. It was, I was HRM199 at Sutton.ac.uk. So 199 was just your student number? Yeah, it was, I think it was like something to do with the year I started, 1999. So it was ah. HRM in my initials and then 199. And, uh, and then, uh, so that was my email, email address for three years. And then I left. And, and you haven't got things... that anymore in case anyone wants to email you. That's not yeah, good. no, yeah. don't don't, <laughs> don't try that one. Yeah. You can try this one, which, <laughs> which is which is. Then I, when I left, I basically got a Hotmail account, so I just kept the HRM one nine nine, and it was at hotmail.com. I don't use it anymore, so you can email me, but I right. probably won't see it. Um, uh, so it just stuck. So it just became like a name that stuck. Yeah, and then um, and then like that. during that period I think I was like oh I didn't know whether I wanted to do design or make artworks or music or anything so I just thought oh yeah you know this thing you know have this interdisciplinary practice whatever that would be yeah um well it what I mean HRM 199 kind of really seems to suit you now it feels like a kind of music beat or it feels like some sort of coding for some design of some sort yeah so it sure. kind of it's sort of like you've grown into that assignment yeah maybe maybe i grew into it rather than uh you know it yeah because it the name was there before yeah. you know the studio and and the practice yeah, yeah yeah so we're surrounded by um decks at the moment and uh record players yeah and that's telling me that music plays a humongous part so you and you grew up with music. Music was a massive part of your like informative years. Yeah, would would say so. But in a kind of a, in a in a weird way, like my dad has always been into music, so he would play records and and then my parents would throw parties. What sort of music was it though? You were like everything. It was uh, most mostly you know I grew up with like pop music, sort yeah. of you know like uh, you know what you what you would remember as eighties pop music. So what was any, the first single you bought? First single I bought was actually a Jean-Michel Jarre huh? uh, live album. Wow. No, that wasn't that wasn't the single. That was an album. Oh, what was the first single I bought? I can't remember. Mine was I'm... the Crash Test Dummies. Janet Jackson again. I'm really Janet Jackson. Right? I'm really terrified now. But basically, yours was Jean-Michel Jarre. The album you bought yeah. says a lot about like. You and then what happened to Haroon and the <laughs> yeah, Guess yeah. what Rob Diamond was? <laughs> well, no, it was Pepsi and Shirley. Uh, heartache. And it went like, heartache. Ha, 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 ha. And guess who they were? They were the backing singers to Wham. Wow. Um, yeah, and they had their own career and I loved them. And then the first album I bought was True Blue by Madonna and I made my mum take me to the local Boots oh, in album. Maidenhead and um, kept like adamantly saying, I have to have that record. And eventually she gave in and bought it for me, I think on vinyl or something. But like, 
I had pop, pop, pop music pop, and you pop. had like Jean-Michel Jarre. Well, you know what? Jean-Michel Jarre at the time and for years after was very uncool. And also it went downhill from there. <laughs> I think probably the next record I bought was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme tune from the movie. Oh, <laughs> my next one was Bartman. Do you remember Bartman, doing the Bartman? Was <laughs> Bartman yeah, was, was brilliant. Fun. Yeah, that was a tune, right? I think I could probably just like recite the whole song I'll right do it now. with you. <laughs> hey. What's happening? Dude, I'm a guy with a rent to be rude. Terrifying people, wherever I go, it's not intentional, just keeping the flow. Keeping test scores to change the best scores. Drop banana pills all over the floor. I'm a kind of. Last name Susan, first name Bart. Do you remember that? I actually memorized that like you guys did, but sadly, my memory's so bad now that I can't recall it like you did. You can remember Pepsi and Shelley, that's I can, I can. And also, I really wanted to be Lisa Simpson playing the sax. The sax. I just thought she was like a total legend. You're such a feminist. You always You could probably... I, I bet you guys can draw Bart Simpson off by heart as well, right? If, you, yeah, if I was going to say, head, get, yeah. you know, do a drawing of Bart Simpson right now, probably, you could yeah. probably do it. Could you? Yeah, yeah, I think I could do it. Did you used to draw him a lot when you were younger? Yeah, him and Fido Dido. Fido Dido, <laughs> yes. of course. I loved Fido Dido. That was Dido. Seven Up, wasn't it, Fido yeah, Dido? Seven Up, yeah. So where did you grow up? In London? No, just outside near Reading, a place called Bracknell. I know Bracknell. Bracknell and then Wokingham. I went to school in Reading. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah and I grew up in Maidenhead. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, I went to school in Sonning. Sonning, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How funny. Small world. Yeah, that is small world. Is it small? <laughs> <laughs> small Somewhere near Reading. <laughs> Somewhere near <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, but I went to Bracknell loads when I was growing up. God, what did you do in Bracknell? You know who else Getting is Bracknell? Getting fried. Bracknell just buying your singles. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> Kate Bryan is um, oh, really? from Bracknell. Yeah. Cool. There you go. It was there rough, go. Bracknell. Everyone who was in that part of the world in Berkshire or wherever was um, getting into art, clearly. Clearly. So yeah. after you bought them singles, what was the music <laughs> that really has stuck with you because if I in my head I feel like that how old are you 42 so we're the same sort of age I'm going to be 38 this year so I feel like jungle and house music and garage music would have played a major influence in your tastes yeah yeah it would have been house I think it was probably like more acid house or you know techno or yeah sort of acid driven music as in as in you know 303s the 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 instruments rather than What's the 303? What do you mean? It's a, it's a little synthesizer that, you know, it's got the classic wow, wow, you know, sound uh-huh. that you, you, it's like a really sort of classic uh, Korg synth. No, Roland, sorry, what am I saying? Roland 303. And um, so it has a very particular sound and, and I got into it actually because... I was tripping. <laughs> so, tripping. <laughs> stripping? I, tripping, tripping. Oh, tripping. So it was... It was <laughs> and stripping. You know, it was... Um, so you got into that music via drugs? Yeah, I think, so I think it was a combination of LSD and that music that got me hooked on not, the, not necessarily the music itself, but the sound of electricity, which is what I work with now. Yeah, so there totally. is definitely a, definitely a correlation between the music that I was listening to uh-huh the the drugs that I was taking and what I do now. Did your family know you was doing this? No. How did you hide these acid tripping moments from them? I didn't do it that much, you know. I did, you know, I did, you know, I did it a bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't a. Um, yeah, a perhaps my family yeah. did know, but you know, they found out a few years later. You know, I, I told them, but uh-huh. it wasn't, it wasn't like, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, they wouldn't know, really. So from Bracknell, you ended up going to Chelsea. 
Is that from right? Bracknell, I ended up going to Winchester. Oh, Winchester. Well, yeah, from, yeah. And uh, so I spent a bit of time there. Then I went to Chicago for a little while. I did an exchange program at the Art Institute in Chicago. Oh, wow. And that was pretty, so that was uh, like a semester, well, three months, I think it was originally. And then after I finished up in Winchester, I went back and sort of spent a bit more time in Chicago. Wow. And what did, um, would the students in Chicago go to Winchester then? Was it like a exchange no, student? No, no, it didn't work like that. It was, I think, I think that's the sort of idea, but it yeah. didn't work like that. Just I, I kind of went there, and uh-huh. I don't think anyone came back for some reason. And did you like? Did you find Chicago influenced a lot of your choices in art? Um, I'm not sure because the kind of stuff that I did there was um, very different to what I do now. But I would say that it really helped me um, build a network that was beyond, you know, Winchester. Mm. And then straight off, you know, going you back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Winchester exactly. is the epicenter of the Winchester art world. Winchester is the epicenter of ducks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I, yeah, so I, that was, and then going back, you know, I, I, I made a lot of friends. We did shows together, both there and over here, invited people from Chicago to London to, to exhibit their work. Um, I also met people, some artists from Vienna there mm. at the time, and mm-hmm. then we became friends. And, you know, most of them are all friends now, you know, so that's kind of, that was, it was really important. And was, was the club scene in, in Chicago an influence at all? Because at the time, I imagine when you were there, it must have been quite an active scene there. It was, but it wasn't that interesting. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, at that time, there was, I mean, there was a couple of good record shops, but the club scene was like, really um it was like trance and progressive house it was really influenced by what was going on in london and all the chicago stuff had sort of fizzled away it was it was a weird moment so you'd already seen it it was just coming to chicago but you'd already experienced it yeah yeah and that was a kind of the main thing i mean there was other stuff going on yeah uh and it you know there was a lot of good stuff but i think um all the sort of djs that are known from you know for for the chicago house scene they'd already sort of they were all international by that point you know so it was like yeah it was almost like yeah the london scene was more sort of prevalent in chicago at the moment at that time what was the what was the first work you made then when you was at winchester um when I when I was at Winchester first, well, I was painting at the time. I was, was doing you? like yeah, I was painting. Like, these, we got some painters up in your house. Are these yours? These are Gaia's. These are my oh, wife's. So yeah, I haven't I haven't painted for a long time. Right. But I was painting. I mean, it's it's interesting in a way if I think about it. I was I was obsessed with painting just like seascapes. So, and then I you know and it kind of disappeared and fizzled out. But looking well, but back, but like Turner esque or like. No, just like almost like photorealistic seascapes, but sometimes in relief and stuff, they were kind of, and sometimes there'll be like two canvases. One was just the sea and one was just the sky. That's quite geometric. It's quite geometric, but also I was, I understand it now that I was already obsessed with waves. Mm. So thinking about it now, I'm doing a show now in Southampton, which is, you know, it's about waves in various forms, sea waves, sound waves, Uh light waves, Brain waves, all types of the Mexican wave. The Mexican wave, yeah, yeah. 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 Put that in there. Yeah. 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 Get a crowd in. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so it was. It was this obsession with waves that is still sort of, um, hap- you know, is still happening in my work now. 
So hang on. So okay. So we got the we got the acid house music, like the kind of static electric electrical sound, which features in your work heavily. And then you've got the waves. So would the waves have come from an experience of swimming as a kid by the sea, or with that of or of some sort of seascape experience? I don't know what it was. I mean, I remember a long time ago seeing this really getting obsessed by Richter, right? And seeing his seascapes. You know, he painted a yep. lot of seascapes. And maybe that's where that came from. But I don't know what the, the obsession with waves, I think, goes deeper somehow. You know, this it's, it's, you know, it's just kind of this uh, something about, yeah, waves and frequencies, mm-hmm. specifically sine waves that I've, uh, well, and also square waves that I've been sort of. Okay, what's obsessing. a sine wave and what's a square so, wave? S- sine waves and square waves are different uh, way, ways of. Um, uh, looking at information so like if you if you think of a an on off you know like a, a signal that's on off that's mm. a square wave so you know on is up and then it goes for a while then down then down is off so that's so a signal which is completely on and off is a square wave where you, because what, it's quite solid and it's yeah it's, okay, yeah, it's a solid yeah okay and um Sine waves are associated to more organic things. So, you know, it's like a curve, you know. So this is like your classic sine wave right. up at peaks and troughs like this. And uh, so more uh, analog signals would be seen. Is that like when you have your heart rate monitor, when you see the monitors in, in yeah. the hospitals, would that be a sine wave? Yeah, that would be more like a, that would be more like a square wave. Okay. Um, because it's like, boom. Boom, you know, but right. it's a small, it's a small pulse. So a pulse is more associated to a, to a square wave than a sine wave. But having said that, because it's organic, because it's a natural thing, yeah. it would actually be a very steep sine wave. You know, right, like right, right. Um, if you think about the Booper logo, you know, that's what that is. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and that's yeah. what you see. And it's actually like a curve, but a very steep curve. And did you? Is this all self-taught? This information of understanding this. Obviously, you've, you've, you've. If you're enthusiastic and obsessed with something like I am, you, you know everything about it. But is this something you had to go and do like a degree in? Because you're like a sound scientist, really. It seems it's like did you have to do a degree in that to understand all this electrical side of it, or did, or is this something that you just sort of taught yourself? I've taught myself, so that's why you shouldn't take anything I say seriously. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Can you change a plug? Yeah, I can change a plug. Yeah, I mean everything is self-taught, but you know, go along. You know, to, by doing it, you learn things as well. You know, mm. and you have to. Sometimes you have to go to the science or the physics or whatever to mm. kind of to kind of know what it's actually what's actually going on there. Mm-hmm. Even though all phenomenon, you know, is questionable at a certain point, but like, and with electronics as well, you know, at a certain point, you have to know what you're doing mm-hmm. to just make sure, you know, to you know, to understand why things keep blowing up or whatever, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, why does this keep blowing up? And you mm-hmm. have to, so I have learned to pick things up along the way, mm-hmm. but it is all self-taught. And, and I had a sort of resistance against doing things properly, you know, going to, uh, you know, learning electronics or learning physics or learning, you know, sound engineering, because um, the things that I was doing in my work was actually wrong. It was incorrect. It was so like, it feel like a cheat with it that way. You like, you like the kind of happy accident. Yeah, the ha- happy, exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, right. the, 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 you know, the sound that you hear in my work is basically you get uh, an electronic thing, like an, you know, an led generator and you, yeah. and you just amplify the led. 
like you wouldn't do that in electronics. That's just like people, you know, you just wouldn't do that. So yeah. it's a weird thing. You probably get like, <laughs> electricians coming into your show and they're like hands on hips. Yeah, tutting, exactly. Like, this yeah. is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But then I think that's actually why I connected with your work in the first place because for me, your work has this incredible soul and uh, direct access to the soul somehow and to emotion. And you might not immediately realise it. I think if you look at your work on a kind of formal level or something, you might just think it's one thing. But to me, it's very much like... almost like the birthing of of soul or something and and deep emotion and i've always been very touched by the way that your um the way that you will use the the sound of electricity for example um it has this very direct physical connection with the, with a human and with mm. the, the audience and that to me is fascinating because your work often generates audio like live in the room and it's not a recording or a document of sound, it's actually sound being created in front of you. And in that act, um, that's where the power is for me. And that's what I find so interesting about your work. How, how did that all come about? Or, or was that something you were aware of? Yeah, it's really kind of you to say it like that, because yeah, it, it was, it took me a while to kind of um, start believing this as well, that actually when uh, you encounter these pieces and you've got the sound of electricity being amplified and you're hearing it, um, you 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 have a physiological response to it, and it's not explicable. It's not really understood. You like you wouldn't really know that that's what's happening. You you might not even know that this sound is a live sound, you know. But you're some, somehow your body knows, and I think it's something to do with you know, and it's something to do with waves, you know, electromagnetic waves in sync with sound waves, you know. So you have the light, which is on the electromagnetic spectrum, and then you have sound waves, which is physical, you know molecules of air bashing together and vibrating your ear and um and that's happening live and electricity is a live phenomenon you know it's like a it's like a natural thing like like rain or wind or you know fire and um and i think somehow your body recognizes that you know it's like when you listen you're probably listening to this wherever you are right now and it's a recording and you kind of know it's a recording even if you're stere- if even if you've got the best stereo and the best hi-fi uh, audio reproduction system you kind of know you you know it's a recording but if somebody's speaking next to you mm. you you know it's a real person and that's something that's you know very sophisticated uh, processing that your brain does knowing that that's live you know um so maybe that's got something to do with it you know a lot of people say oh it creates you know you go and they go and see my shows and they come out with a headache and you know <laughs> this kind of thing as well so there is but that's also a physiological response yes you know? totally yeah and i actually through your work i think i've begun to think more about the idea of uh, sound being mediated and some kind of almost like even with a podcast for example if you edit it or you it's all controlled in yeah. a sense even the structure of it everything like that but with 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 a live exhibition or even if you think about it as an equivalent with music a concert so if you chose to listen to an Adele record but then you went to see her live people go to that live concert for a reason because they want to hear her sing it in Mm. front of them and have that that one-to-one connection Mm. and that's Mm. what I think I get with your exhibitions that's different if you hear a I don't know like a Bruce Nauman which I love of course Mm. but pre-recorded audio you do immediately 
react and respond to it in a different way. But weirdly, I'd never thought about that until I started researching your work. Mm. And I think that is really interesting. And what I also loved was that you began to almost physically make that more obvious because I don't know how obvious it is, to be honest. I know you've had work with turntables where you can see like an LED light, you know, on the turntable and, 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 different, and a radio. A radio yeah. yeah, and, the, and the, the, the reaction between those two objects, the radio and the light. But things like the dance work that you've done, I think with Wayne McGregor, mm. um, when you actually have the physical body in front of you moving and responding and helping to create that audio, that was a perfect example, I think, that sort of somehow sums it all up for me. And it's interesting that it almost requires the body for me to be able to even access it somehow. I don't know, because mm. you're seeing another physical body. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I guess it changes it. Yeah, it's it's really cool working with dancers, working with choreographers and dancers, because, yeah, because they embody, they literally embody the sound you know that's what dance is not all not always but you know i mean the primordial point of dancing is is a, it's always related to a sound yeah, yeah a beat or a, yeah. you know or a melody or some or something and um and that's i mean that's where it gets that's where it gets really interesting and really kind of um yeah you you, you kind of make all the connections somehow um cuz i guess in the in the in my work in you know installations that I make are almost like something in between you know a vision like a you know a gallery show and a concert or a or a gig or an opera or something you know and um and you know what defines it is really just the space you know I work with Wayne in in a in an opera house on a ballet and that was you know it it, it felt very different because it was on stage you know mm-hmm. And it was in the context of ballet, so um, it it may, it creates a different type of space, and it's almost the conventions are there to go. Okay, that's what this is. But when you're in a gallery, those conventions are different, so you begin to unpick the elements in a different way, I guess. Um, so it's good to kind of for me to explore all these different contexts, but still keep it very much in the in the space of. Um, in the space of visu- visual arts, because mm. uh, but you don't you 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 do produce work in the white cube, but you break all the rules of what it is to have work in a white cube gallery space. Yeah, I guess because you know, uh, yeah, the white cube became the white cube for what you know whatever reason because paintings need to be conditioned or artworks that's say needed to be conditioned in a way where you just have that experience yeah. with the art. So it's always been about experience, you know. Well, it's going into something and going okay you have all of art history behind you and you go into a gallery space and that's what you experience from what you know of knowledge of art and yeah. you go into the white, white cube and that's what it is. But what you're doing is so multi-sensory. I mean, at some point that you reference like smell as well, which is such a rare strand in art to experience, but you, you want the smell of, um, what was the it? Foam or? Foam, yeah, yeah, it was the foam or the ceiling panels or something yeah. that you wanted to be quiet. Yeah, because, I mean, and the carpet and stuff, you know, these, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, and it's not intentional. You know, even the foam, you know, the way it looks is not intentional. The the way it looks is because it does that job, the utility of it. Mm. And, uh, but actually then the way it looks is kind of really amazing as mm. well. You know, it creates a very specific and visceral sort of environment. Um, and then again, with the, with the, with the smell of, of the foam, it has this really pungent s- smell that mm. kind of, you know, adds to that experience mm. so um and, and and i think you know the space 
often becomes unimportant, like it does in the white cube, mm. you know, it becomes just neutral. Mm -hmm. um, but when, when the space is filled with all this other sensory material, the space also becomes part of the object, part of the artwork, you know, so it's like a ready-made yeah. that is then manipulated and, and played around with, mm -hmm. like, like, you, like you would a you know, piece of canvas or a mm -hmm. sculpture. No, it's amazing. I actually think it's quite um, funny in a way that there's a lot of photographs of you or interviews of you standing in front of acoustic foam, like soundproofing yeah, foam. But I uh, know, but it's, it is such a great visual though, because it's almost like mountains or something behind you mm. and it's very sculptural. Um, but what I began to find really interesting as well is the idea that when you did that show in Le Life, is it called? The, yeah, the big yeah. space, one of the biggest spaces yeah, in Europe. Huge space, yeah. wasn't it? Huge yeah. kind of um, like a, military bunker or something. So uh, where they used to build U-boats. Wow. Yeah, it's like a U-boat manufacturing plant. <laughs> but I loved it because initially I was a bit like, oh my God, every time Haroon's being interviewed, whoever's setting it up, like the production company, whatever, are like, let's stand him in front of that. But then I realised the importance of that material and the function of it and the utility of it, like you say, um, in order to change the sound when you're in that space, how it completely deadens the sound. Yeah. And then when you leave that small chamber or room, you suddenly go into a different space, which is much more echoey and um, you have all the screens, you know, with the different sounds and it becomes way more intense. Mm. And I love the idea of the journey and the connection between the rooms. In, in that particular show, for example, mm. um, and how deliberate that is. And I thought it was really interesting, this idea that you said that if something doesn't have a use and isn't functional, it literally isn't in. Like, you would never include yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an idealism, I guess. I mean, it's not always, it doesn't always work like that, but, you know, sometimes I might throw in something that's just for pure aesthetic value, but it, it bugs me. But, you know, the ideal is like if it's not, if it doesn't serve a purpose to the whole, then it's kind of not part of it. Just because why, why should it be there? You know, what's the, what is it? <laughs> it's like not that everything needs a purpose and the purpose could be completely abstract and weird and pointless, you know, but um, there's a sense of utility, yeah. And I liked the idea that in your Listen Gallery show where you had the use of mirrors, um, is that right? Um, there was a show where you had light a, with a yeah, mirrored cube. Yeah, there was like a mirrored or, cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Like a and prism type. Yeah, thing it's or. like a, it's like a, it's basically a cube, but the internal, the inside is mirrored, and then there's light that shines in, a laser that shines into it, which has got, there's like a mist, like a fog, uh, like a fog machine, which is like a mist maker that's changing the beam, laser beam, and that laser beam then, because it's like this natural phenomenon again this cloud it gets distorted in a strange way and then it creates a sound which is you know randomized so it's a very convoluted way you know well, is that it like is, one of them things where you put your hand really close to it and it goes meow, what's, like what's a theremin it? that's it what's yeah it called? a theremin theremin yes. yeah it's that one's it's it works in a similar principle sorry right. this chair is really creaky isn't it? <laughs> um it works in a, it's a theremin chair it's a theremin chair yeah every time i move it's like <laughs> um yeah, it's, it works in a similar way, but, you know, there's no, you know, there's no hand move. It's the mist that's doing the changing. So right. it's just, you know, so that's a really convoluted, you know, convoluted thing and very visual thing. You know, this mirrored cube and 
to create a sound, you know, so there is a utility to the whole thing. I know, but what I think <laughs> I liked about the mirror particularly is that it's got a history in art and it's this very yeah. seductive thing and also the reflection of the audience, all that kind of thing. Yeah. There's so much, it's so much of a layered history with it, but I loved the fact that even that was able to become functional somehow. And yeah. it's, it's like every detail. So even the things you might think are these decorative, almost like, you know, artworks or objects art objects yeah. you actually have transformed that into something of use which yeah. is i found really um yeah that's a weird yeah that's a thing that i seem to do and i don't i don't know if it comes from studying design or whether it's or just i think there was this a point when i was younger but you know after i studied painting i got disillusioned with art and i thought art doesn't really do anything in the world it doesn't have a real purpose you know, and that's probably the criticism of art. I mean, it does. Now I think it does have a utility, which is like really high end, like an economic utility and, you know, social and cultural utility. Mm. But, you know, every day, you know, this painting doesn't, this painting hanging on the wall in this room doesn't have any utility other than to go, oh, look, there's a painting, you know. Um, so I got disillusioned with art in that way. And I, th I thought, oh, the things that I make, I want them to have a use. I want them to have a utility. And I guess that sort of carried on where that became a criteria for what is part of the work and what isn't you know does it does it need to be here you know does this thing need to be here and uh but those things can be as beautiful or as ugly you know uh, as they as they need to be or they you know or they are you know they just they just are um so there's a there's a sort of sense of the ready made and the sense of the of the sort of um uh, but there's a ready, the ready-made plays into your work yeah, a lot. The ready-made plays into my yeah. work, but that could be from you know something that I literally some junk that I found on the street uh -huh. to a a mirror by Anish Kapoor. Yeah, you know, so you know, there's two extremes of the ready-made there yeah. that um that uh, have their own sort of you know, and when I when I work with them, they're the same. They're at the same level. There's no hierarchy between yeah. you know a piece of junk that I found outside and Anish mirror mm -hmm. you know and one may have zero value one may have you know uh, hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. um but when i work with them they have to be of equal value and, mm -hmm. uh, so then i can do whatever i need to do with them manipulate them do you think there's a hierarchy in your work when it comes to light and sound do you ever set one of them above the other uh no i don't think so i think they always say stay the same because you know if i'm if if i if i've generated a sound from a strip of LED, then they both need each other, each other. to kind of, you know, the, 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 if there is a hierarchy, it's electricity. You know, if there was a medium that I say that I work with, that's electricity. Mm. And that's probably the most, uh, uh, I don't know, important for me in my practice is working and manipulating electricity. So the light and the sound are just, are just manifestations of that. Have you ever got injured through electrical yeah many times have you yeah i get <laughs> i haven't for a while but i have been electrocuted a few, a few times you know people that i work with have been electrocuted purposefully yeah touch that you're annoying me touch that yeah, exactly. yeah. so that would be your superpower i guess would be like electric currents being able to manipulate them in a, on a human level without yeah actually. right <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> Something I really wanted to discuss with you was because of this idea that you've almost set up these parameters of everything in the work has to have a function or a use. I started thinking about 
the bigger message or the bigger purpose of the work. And I know that could be a subconscious thing because obviously when you're creating art, you don't necessarily, some people have a, have a message or something they want to say, but sometimes your message just comes out of the subconscious. But I was really interested, particularly in your more recent work, the inclusion of politics and uh, political kind of films, or even, you know, if you think of art reflecting society or of Mm. our time, I think your work, part of the reason why your work has been so quickly um, supported and championed, you know, at quite a young age is because it is so relevant and it does um, resonate with so many people. And it's not even just the audio and the sound and the installation and the experience, which has become more and more accepted in the art world, you know, as we've been growing up in a way. But I feel like there's a kind of message and it's got two things that I really want to discuss with you. I'll be trying to be quicker than I am. But one was the personal. So the idea of grief, maybe, or healing. Um, and then the other is the way that you've included, I'll give a few examples, but there's a, a video of a girl promoting her burkini in one of the um, films that I think was in the French show. And then you have like a video game from 90s Desert Strike, which you used to play yourself, where I think people were like, what what happens again? You're blowing up Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's fascinating in itself. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then you have like computer simulations of the Bataclan attacks that happened in Paris. And then... um, What? Computer simulations? Yeah, there was a whole... One of the installations on the floating screen was this uh, like computer generation, you know, what do you call it? You didn't create that. No, it was created for a news, uh, you know, like like a news channel, I guess. So wow. it's like a yeah. th- animation. Oh, oh okay, attacks. to talk through what this is yeah, what happened. Yeah, this, this is what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's right, inc- right, right. when you watch it in Haroon's work, it's incredibly devastating and powerful, just this idea it's, of but the it's not, simulation. But it's not propaganda then when you're accessing, is it? It's like No, there's all kinds of things, yeah. It's like there is, you know, this is just a news, you know, this is actually just news feed. And then, yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. And most of it, you know, is on YouTube. So it's kind of out there just yeah. in sort of, Public demand. So how, how did that particular work come about with all these different um, messages and uh, news feeds? Yeah, I mean, I guess at that time I was interested in so many different things. Um, uh, the sort of uh, so shamanism and the use of uh, psychedelics throughout the, throughout history and and their sort of status now, you know, in terms of you know them being um, regarded as drugs, you know, uh, which they are, but so is. You know, it's it's kind of questioning the difference between a food, a drug, a narcotic, a medicine, and a plant. You know, they're just like we make up those differences. In the end, they're kind of the same thing, right? Um, and the use of these things and what their benefits, uh, both socially and and pathologically, are. Um, then uh, artificial intelligence and technology and how that's developing so quickly, and we really don't know um, what to do with it. And how it's going to evolve, you know, evolve. And there's people that have a lot of ideas about, um, you know, AI being becoming super intelligent, beyond possibly, us. yeah, beyond yeah. us, possibly being you like know, Terminator Two, yeah, yeah, Terminator Two scenario, yeah. or you know, or augmenting reality. So it's like you know, it's, there's but there's both like, you know, uh, utopic and dystopic views of AI. Um, then sort of politics and because this show was in France it was really kind of 
starting with the relationship between Britain and France, which starts with the Euro Euro Tunnel. Um, yeah, so then, quickly, that, you, that, there's, a, there's a film in this of when the Euro Tunnel is first uh, made mm-hmm. and when the moment they break through the wall and from France to England and you see this hand come out and they shake hands. Yeah. And to me, that was this idea of like unity and togetherness. And if you think of post-World War II, how important Europe was yeah. and all of those messages. But even on a simple level, I think that's sometimes a message I see in your work is this idea of togetherness and unity mm. because you've got a shared experience when yeah. you're in the room together. You made that pre-Brexit as well well right no that was post-brexit i mean that was yeah 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 it was post-brexit i mean i think it had a lot to do i mean that's what kind of drove it really so it was it was looking at that relationship then looking at europe as an extension extended relationship and then europe within the sort of global context you know the footage is of both the french news footage and the english news footage side by side and you see the two you know, you see the French coming in from the French side and the English coming in from the English side and then the meeting and then shaking hands. But um, it's kind of, so yeah, so it's this kind of point. Then later on, it's described how that's breaking down with this sort of European Union flag just sort of disintegrating. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that political debate. And then also Islam, you know, because, you know, my family um, are, are Muslims and I grew up with, you know, learning about Islam uh uh, from an early age um and how that plays a role in this sort of political uh, debate as well specific, specifically in france and then mm. in, in wider global context um so that's like a subtext in there so uh, you know there's like i'm describing four different things here and then the final one what is the final one i can't remember so there's a <laughs> grief. There's an, Did you talk about grief or? With, yeah, the grief. I I think the grief comes from this person, from personal experience. You know, right. from all these things I've described and like having, um, having ideas about these things. Whether they're right or wrong is irrelevant. These it's just the personal ideas and having um, something to say about them or not even to say. There might not even be a message per se. Um, but it's more like a the influence of that. Yeah, emotion. the influence yeah. of that, and it's more it, like an expression. It's it? more like an expression. Yeah. yeah, that's more what it is. And but that expression is so broad that you can read so many different things into it because there's no. I don't think there's any real ideology in the work. I don't. I try not to say. Oh, and I try not to put a point of view in the work. Yeah. I just put, yeah, like an expression of things that are, are, feeling, that are going. A yeah, feeling, yeah, a feeling that's going on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com um, It's also, yeah, I guess there's a scientific as well, which is yes. to do with, I guess it's to do with DNA and the, and the discovery of DNA and the sort of past 
ancient history of DNA, uh, sort of nodding to the idea that uh, in many in many indigenous cultures around the world, there seems to be uh, a knowledge of DNA somehow, which is manifest in the, in the representation of serpents. So snakes appear um, in many indigenous cultures all around the world. And there's this really incredible book by this guy called Jerry Nabi, who also appears in the in the work, um, who wrote this uh, book called The Cosmic Serpent, which he basically uh, outlines this idea that the representation of serpents in indigenous cultures around the world are uh, are come from a prior knowledge of, of of DNA, and that perhaps the DNA is of cosmic origin. So he, you know, he. Uh, you know, it's just that. But they uh, had an awareness of DNA yeah, in ancient cultures. Yeah. And but the, and their way of describing it would be like the snake. Yeah, the snake. Like, yeah. Because we because the way in my head, whenever you talk about DNA, I just think that's that animation in Jurassic Park where they talk about forget the dinosaur yeah. DNA and then filling it with the frog's beard. And yeah. it, that is kind of like in a snake yeah. shape, isn't it? The, yeah. the way that the, the it's like a cable, isn't it? Exactly. Really? A yeah. DNA strand. This DNA strand. Yeah. And also, there's another subtext to the work. You know, the, the, the title of the work is Two Triangle Waveforms, um, one on top of each other. But that's a symbol of the, of the star sign Aquarius. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this kind of new age movement and oh, the age of Aquarius, which is basically, uh, it's based on um, the Earth, uh, you know, the planet wobbles on its axes. And every 2,100 years, the polar, the polar poles shift, basically, to where they're pointing at. And it's strongly linked to astrology. So every 2,100 and something years, mm. um, there's a different astrological age or sign, you know, so... Can we the, feel that? Is, is that a thing? Yeah, you can see it. Well, the North Star will slowly shift. It won't be the North Star anymore. So you can see it. And on the vernal equinox, the, the sun rises in front of a, of a What's constellation. What's the vernal equinox? Going to uh, sorry, that's the, the vernal equinox is the point it's the spring equinox so the between the longest and shortest day when the days the 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 day and the night are the same hours hours yeah okay and um uh so yeah on that day the sun rises in front of a constellation which is at the moment pisces it's slowly well now it's in between pisces and aquarius in between pisces and aquarius Uh, at the minute yeah pisces and aquarius so the whole new age movement in the 60s and whenever it was you know it's you know been evolving for a long time was basically about this shift from Aquarius to Pisces. Uh, sorry, Pisces to Aquarius. So it's the new age, right? Um, right. So are you yeah. into astrology in a big I'm, way? No, I'm not. I mean, this is the thing. I'm not really into this. I just, I just, I, I, I'm kind of into it. I mean, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a fact that the Earth wobbles. I mean, scientists sort of all, the consensus is that this happens and there is the procession. Um, and so the North Star will shift to another one. So we will be pointing to another uh, constellation. Well, where are we but now? In the, now in, where in the are transition we? In the between... In 2,100 years, how many... How long I don't, we... I don't know. Nobody really knows the exact oh, thing, right. but it, we we're, in the, we're in the transition between Pisces and Aquarius. Wow. And they say that with each era, with each of these transitions, there's a different worldview and stuff. So Pisces sort of corresponded to uh, with the birth of Christ, you know, and the Christian tradition. And if you think about the fish, you know, which is a representation of Christ, that's also a representation for Pisces. Um, and now we're moving into um, Aquarius. Aquarius. The Aquarius is supposed to, is said to be 
associated to logic and rational ration, rational thought. Right. Um, and so now, you know, it just doesn't feel like it, we're in a world of Aquarius at the minute. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's it really like irrational. Going, yeah, we're going Gemini. But scientifically, we've sort of really made a lot of progress in the last hundred years. And now we, uh, you know, scientists sort of understand the whole of reality, the whole of what we see in here is uh, they can they can uh, rationalize it in terms of a wave function. It's a very complicated thing that I don't fully understand, so I'm not going to, but, it, but it's, this is what reality is. It can be thought of as a wave function, which is waves. So these star signs that have existed for many hundreds of thousands of years, mm. since Babylonian times, for sure, we know that this logo has existed, somehow there was an idea that this age or this time is going to be associated with waves. And also this understanding of DNA, which is also a representation of waves. Um, this relationship between the serpent, I guess that's another thing. Um, yeah, and medicine as well. You know, if you look at the logo from, I mean, without going into like sort of esoteric conspiracy stuff, you know, if you oh, look at the sort of... Uh, I love a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Look at the sort of symbol for medicine. It's it's uh, the, star, uh, the what's it called? The rod of Asclepius, which is a, a staff with a snake. Yeah, it is, it, yeah. yeah. So what does that mean? Well, it's just a symbol for medicine. Asclepius <coughs> was a Greek, Roman, a Greek... Uh, it's from Greek mythology and... Um, so why have we had that to them for our, our like? Who knows? Wow. So there's so there's lots of these you know there's lots of these coincidences yeah, yeah, yeah. that um, that basically inspired this work. What star sign are you? Taurus. Are you a typical Taurus? I don't know what a typical a bullish. <laughs> I don't know what yes, a typical. Yes, you are. Yes, you're very bullish. <laughs> bullish. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This is it. I don't really know much about star signs. Right. You know, I don't really read. And, you know. oh, I was hoping you could tell us readers because I'm <laughs> yeah, a Scorpio no, I, and Rob's... I'm a Scorpio. Are you? Scorpio. Yeah, and all my closest friends are Scorpios. I realised recently. All oh, right. Yeah, are you both Scorpio? Of, yeah, yeah right. I get on really well with Scorpios. Scorpio. And Scorpios are known to get on with Scorpios. Yeah, yeah, and then there's well, they can, I think they can really, really bond. And then there's also like one or two other star signs. So there's a time every year when about four, four or five of my friends will have birthdays in the same week. There's oh, two yeah. times a year where it happens. So like. Carmen will have a birthday, Kathleen will have, but they all have birthdays. My mum, for example, they all have birthdays in the same time. It really freaks me out. But I've never looked into it. I've not really been that interesting. Going back to your work. <laughs> You've not been that interesting. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not Sorry, I've not interested, been that interesting. Or interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that interesting. I'm not. Well, I'm, that's fact. Yeah. Um, going back to your work, there's one piece I really wanted to discuss in this podcast, which was an early work you made, which I, to me is like a really seminal work for you, which is um, Tack Attack from 2008. And you went on a residency to Pakistan. Mm. That was after you graduated from university, wasn't it? Yeah. So which Chelsea. Was I was Chelsea. at Chelsea at that time yeah. and just finished. That was my MA and I was done. That was my second MA actually. And then I was done and I went on this residency to Lahore at the National College of Arts. Yeah. And you were you were actually there when um Benazir Bhutto was killed. No? Yeah. And you were filming. I was filming, yeah, yeah exactly. The, I was filming exact that time. Yeah. And then that became part of the work. It 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 did it, it no it didn't actually oh, it didn't it, okay. it's there Who's there Benazir is Bhutto? she was the ex prime minister who was going for uh, prime minister again she mm. was running again and she's like a polit you know she's from a political family her father was also the prime minister so there's a lot of corruption there I mean it's complicated Pakistani politics so I'm, I'm not really going to talk about it. but she was so while I was filming this thing in Lahore she was out on a campaign public. Uh, thing rallying sort of thing rallying thing and she was shot she was assassinated but what happened was 
um, immediately the whole country went into sh sort of shutdown, into lockdown. Um, pe people just went crazy. There was loads of riots on the streets everywhere, that, you know, in Lahore. And literally minutes after this happened in Karachi, you know, the whole, and I was filming the whole, it just turned into total chaos. Wow. Um, and, um, Oh, you filmed riots and stuff then, right? Yeah, so there's lots of footage in the end of riots. There's like, you know, you can hear gunshots and stuff. Wow. But um, Was you scared? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, probably. But, um, you know, we managed to get home fine and then there was a curfew for three days and at that, so then I went and stayed with my uncle because it was more like just safer and he, uh -huh. he had a house there. So, um uh, and there was like, a, yeah, so there was, it was a state of emergency for a few days. But the work itself doesn't, there is one clip in the work where you see a couple of people running. But when you, in the context of the work, you wouldn't know. You that wouldn't know that, it. You right. wouldn't know it, yeah. But, I, but that, 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 that film footage is from that time, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it I thought. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then have you used that footage in other works then, or not? No. No, okay. No. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I remember, I was just about to say, I swore I saw people running, which yeah, I assumed there is, was yeah. from that experience. Yeah, yeah. And then that piece for me is so incredibly powerful because of this idea of sound and the way that you made that film of the man who's mincing meat yeah. with this incredible performance. Yeah. I mean, which yeah. is a performance. He's a great mincer. And great mincer. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you hear the rhythm of him chopping up the meat and then you that, that became a kind of theme for you or something yeah. within the work okay and the beat right yeah, yeah it was so i mean it was a performance in itself you know so he would you know i just sort of i was eating on that street's called food street in lahore i i hope i imagine it's still there and uh so there's lots of street chefs just preparing food and um and and you know there's lots of restaurants and things and he was like sort of the, the, the there's a lot of a lot of people making that dish which is called tak tak it's like basically you can go and choose offal you know all different types of of of, of meat uh, brain heart lungs you know all kinds of stuff um testicles yeah Hops. yeah <laughs> you know uh so uh uh quite tasty and um, oh, you had a testicle yeah yeah from what animal <laughs> I, I had a i had a cowboy once wow but that was in mexico a cowboy just one yeah, ball yeah one, one and what's the size of that like your it, fist it wasn't as, oh. no, it wasn't as big as you'd oh, imagine that's yeah it was it was um it was uh it was actually really tasty i was like bring me the other one wow did you eat the other one yeah yeah <laughs> Nice. <laughs> how do they prepare a cow's ball? Uh, it's sort of, this one was like, I think it was like deep fried. Wow. It was very crispy on the outside and soft. God. <laughs> the closest I've had to that is the, um, what do you call it? Like the glands that people eat here. Um, Kidneys? No, no. Uh, sweetbreads. Well, I imagine that's a similar kind of vibe maybe. I don't know. I can't was it like, was it like tubular? Was it all like... I mean, it was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what it was before I started tucking into Sorry? it. And then, and then when, when you found out, you carried on. And then, yeah, then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, was like I mean, it was oh good. God, well, it's good. Oh. And it's a delicacy, isn't yeah, it? It's a del it's yeah, it's definitely yeah. a delicacy. I'm sure we've, we've all <laughs> eaten it. We've probably all eaten it minced up. Are yeah, I mean, my balls probably, are very delicate. Eat <laughs> we, 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 we've eaten it minced up in stuff you buy everywhere. Yeah, you never know what you're eating. Seriously. But going back to that, <laughs> that, to that work, what I found so sort of beautiful about it is that you, you're taking something sort of from the street in a way, and then you're recording it, and then it sort of travels around the world, and it becomes this kind of 
beautiful thing. I, yeah. Oh, you didn't, sorry, you didn't say you said so you get all these meats together and then yeah, and then they he basically minces it up. The chef would mince it up on this kind of. So it's like beef tartare when they sort of yeah, do that for you. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Okay, but he does it in such a like you know it's a performance for him and you know and it really describes for me how music and sound in those countries is just like embedded in everyday life. Yeah. You know, it is just. It's not. It's not an industry. There's yeah. no. I mean, there is a music industry, of course, but um, music. There's a utility to music, which yeah. is both. You know, uh, it can be like experiential and, and spiritual, yeah. and just you know, and and or it's it's done because you're doing something else. It's it's like a byproduct of of just your everyday practice. Uh, you know you know of doing things and, and i found they, that they, so they count differently as well don't they i did a whole workshop years ago with Nitin sawney and akron khan and we were playing the tabla and it's oh, talking yeah, about yeah. the way the tabla the way they create the beat is that it's, it's a completely different yeah there's a weird time signature that is one together one two together one two three yeah together, one, yeah two, three, right four, together one three four, 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 four. it's really four, complex four, four, four. and it's like the tabla do it the sound of the tabla and stuff it was I, I funnily enough did the same thing i had i had um songwriting classes with um najma actor who did a lot with led zeppelin and different people she's so incredible and she taught us all about um different time signatures and then we all had to write contemporary pop songs on those um time signatures and i wrote a song called little white lie which was on that whole from that experience. Wow. And it was really, really great. So I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but we were talking about music when I was growing up. Mm. But my, yeah, I think I did mention it, but my mum and dad would throw Kuali parties. You know, so Kuali is like, you know, sort of traditional Islamic and Sufi music, which is to do with, you know, which is the tabla is a really important instrument in it. Uh, but it's also historically to do with transcendence. So you, you know, you play the drums and you, and and the music is supposed to. And the whirling dervishes. There's also the, the connection with with Sufism. You spin round to become sort of uh, to have a sort of transcendent. Well, you get dizzy. Yeah, you, you get dizzy. You get dizzy, else, and then yeah. you have visions and stuff. So um, that was going on, but all that all that mystical stuff wasn't a part of it. They were just having parties, you know, and they'd invite mm. people around that played these instruments. Um, but that was deeply influential as well, you know, at a very early age mm. that hasn't been explicitly um, yeah. revisited, you know. Mm. But that that's funny of... because that sort of plays into your acid experience is that that, that, that that's accessing some other plane. It's the same. And you got told that as a kid that that's, that's a good thing to do. So I guess when the acid comes yeah, up, this yeah. is a good thing to do is yeah, to access right. this other plane. Yeah, sure. It's it's the same. You know, these yeah. these things, you know, people that go to clubs now, you know, pop pills and listen to music and have these experiences mm. is no different to Sufism or no different to people drinking ayahuasca in the in the rainforest, mm. you know, for thousands of years. It's the same. It's, the, it's a kind of human necessity there is a there's a utility to uh breaking uh away from everyday normal reality and um letting sound uh you know sort of take your body to a, and your mind to another place mm. and sometimes this also involves um you know plants that help you along the way or I, I actually feel like that whole idea of the whirling dervish and all of that even if it's subconscious is such a huge part of your work in a way because if you think of the way that it, it going into one of your immersive experiences say um you can get affected on a transcendent level it's like it is trying to lift us or take our soul somewhere else or mm. you know what i mean like mm. and in that tack attack work particularly i, I think there's a reference there to, to the it's trance like isn't it yeah, yeah, totally. yeah they get into trance like yeah. state I think all music does that, you know, all mm. music does that and art does it, but in a very different way. 
Um, so, you know, when you look at something and you really get into it, you know, a painting or whatever, you know, there is this kind of escapism from uh, reality. And artists, you know, there's many, there's many people that believe, scholars and whatnot that believe that, you know, art, art is, a, is a sort of what's left over of shamanism in modern, in modern Western civilization. Wow. So, you know, what, you know, what shamanism would have been thousands of years ago was to, you know, just to uh, have some kind of experience with otherness and try and communicate that. And tell that's that, what art, tell that story. Yeah. And tell that yeah. story and not even tell that, but like just have an attempt of communicating because you can't really communicate those types of experiences. But, but through art, whether it's making music or making paintings or installations, that you, that it's an attempt to do that, you know. And then sometimes it does happen. Uh-huh. It does happen. I was listening to the radio today where they, um, they've understood now in, uh, in uh, neuroscience, uh, uh, psychiatrists working with music therapy have understood that in music therapy sessions, through doing fMRI scans, that um, the, the, the brain of the therapist and the brain of the patient sometimes synchronize because of music. And that helps the, the, the therapy session work much better. Wow, because they're in sync. Yeah, because yeah. they're in sync. And it actually, it's, they, they've, but they've. What sort they've, of music is it? Is it well, I don't know. Yeah, like I don't know. I, I want to learn more. Fleetwood Mac know. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually really interesting because I think there is something about connecting with another human being mm. and the intimacy of that that can be incredibly healing. But that's why, mm. that's why people go to clubs. That's why people yeah, are dancing yeah, in a group it, yeah. and everyone starts dancing. If you took all the music off, it just looked fucking weird. But it's something about connection with another human being through and music. Actually, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I only started drinking a year ago and Russell and I got drunk and we went to a club and I keep saying to everyone, I was incredibly calm when I got drunk. Mm. We were just drinking champagne or something, as you would. Well, um, hang on, you've never drunk? No, I never drank oh, the whole oh, of my oh, life. Okay. I never took drugs, never done anything. Oh, okay. And then with Russ, I got drunk one night. I've only been drunk, I think, twice or three times. Mm. But we went clubbing and it was the first time I felt I mean I've been clubbing for years and I mm. love dancing and I love getting I can stay up all night and mm. dance I get very hyperactive anyway yeah. and I'm sociable but that night I felt incredibly on a level where I was connected to everyone yeah. mm. and I felt incredibly open and really mm. generous it was mm. this really amazing feeling from being drunk which I guess is an altered state again, <laughs> yeah. which is what other people experience yeah. through drugs which I won't do but but it's it's it was really exciting to think about that yeah I mean this is it I mean I I, I went through a uh a period where I, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't take drugs or anything, you know, but I would still go out dancing. But, you know, even then, just the music, and, and I'm sure you probably know this more than anyone, um, that, you, you know, you still have an amazing experience. Totally, there is something, yeah. you know, you, do, you know that you're in this space, like you're saying, with all these other people, and mm. the connection is through being in that space mm-hmm. and the Shared music. experience. And yeah. I think yeah. endorphins, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. weirdly got into walking a few years ago, and I can sometimes get the same kind of feeling I get when I'm in a club dancing yeah, right. just from walking. I mean, yeah. there is something physical wow. going on. Yeah, I mean, you should know, <laughs> hang out with me more. Yeah, right. Wow, I mean, you are rock yeah. and roll. I mean, just a combination <laughs> of different neurotransmitters, uh, endorphins and dopamine and serotonin and melatonin and all these things dmt is another one which is you know a really powerful psychedelic um uh yeah your your mind can have you know without any other you know uh, anything stimulating that Mm -hmm. your mind can do it anyway Mm. you know which is which is what people do through meditation and 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 yoga Mm. and practices like Mm. that i guess 
I think I just found our drag name, serotonin and melatonin. <laughs> 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 I just, just said that. Like, That's a really good drag name. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. To the, uh, Sandy Beaches. <laughs> That's cute. I know, Sandy Beaches. <laughs> Have you ever made a pop song? No. Do you sing? No. Do you play any instruments? Not really. I wouldn't call them instruments. I yeah, I guess I do, but yeah, electricity. <laughs> you know, I make instruments that are, you know, these types of things, these records with cello, with pet bits. But you did, you, would you class yourself as a DJ in some way? Yeah, I would say more of a DJ than a than a musician. You know, like a yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I do, and I, yeah, I don't sing. I think I've got a terrible voice. That's quite interesting, though, because you know this whole thing of DJing. Like, if you think about our generation, sampling. And like recording sound and then putting that back into music seems to have been such a big development in our generation, probably from the 80s, late 80s onwards. And if you think of people like Bjork, Bjork, sorry, mm. and I don't know, William Orbit, you think of um, MIA. Um, Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott, Timberland, all these people who were, who were using street sounds or, you know, going to a volcano and recording the volcano and that becomes the beat of homogenic for Bjork. Mm. Um, or MIA who goes to Sri Lanka and recorded chickens, you know, in the garden that then become the backdrop of some of her songs. That whole kind of thing. That's also what I took away from Tack Attack was that somehow Kate you were Bush bringing... Kate Bush as well, Kate Bush sampled yeah, Kate them. Bush, exactly. She was the one in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably why I was so into the idea of sampling actually yeah. from Kate Bush. Yeah. But um, I liked the fact that you were bringing that into an art context in, in Tack Attack. Mm. And for me, that was why it was kind of exciting and important somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is DJing and sampling and all of that stuff, is that a conscious decision or is that again just a... Happy I mean, accident. Yeah, happy accident. I mean, I you know I was DJing from a very early age before I went to art school. Well, like weddings and stuff. <laughs> weddings, just no, we're like mates parties, you know, house parties no, and stuff. Yeah, you know, odd wedding here, here and there. But um, it was you know it was more of a hobby than a you know when I was younger. And then it then I then I then it got me through art school. Then it got me through university. You know, I would DJ in, in clubs in Winchester and bars and stuff, and it paid my way. And um, what was your DJ name? <sighs> My DJ, no, I didn't have one. It was just me. You know, I was just like Haroon from from oh, right. from, from the Winchester. painting from the painting, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. <laughs> from the painting degree. <laughs> you wow, know. that's catchy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know, there was a couple of us. There was a few other people. Someone else from you know another guy, Sai, from the course, and then other people that just lived in Winchester. And then you know, we had a bit of a thing going, and uh, so it was just like parties and that kind of thing. Um, and that sort of slowly, you know, started appearing in various guises in my work. Um, either the notion of beat mixing, which is, you know, making two records play at the same time. Or just, you know, mixing of different material, ready-made material. Because that's what DJing is, isn't it? It's like you get an ex a song that already exists, another song that already exists, and you blend them together. Um, that's the sort of general thing mm -hmm. a generalized simplistic way of looking at it but um so it's collage you know it's collage and curating and these types of things so i so With that's sound, sort of, collage in sound Col yeah. collage in sound it's like, yeah yeah i think so i think it's like nice, yeah, yeah i think it's like yeah and actually your work is collaging you know sound objects light all these functional mm. objects but yeah. i know that um i really like the description of your work by david toop who spoke saying it's almost like you create complex instruments. So mm. your artwork in itself is an instrument. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I found that so poetic and so incredible. And didn't you see a show of his in 2000? 
Yeah, I love the way he said that. Actually, yeah, I, yeah, I, I saw a yeah show of his yeah called Sonic Boom at the Hayward Gallery, which was a really sort of landmark show for sound art, I'd say, because it was the first time, certainly in London, that such an emphasis was put on sound as a as a as a material, you know, as an artistic form. Yes, you know, the thing is, this thing about sound art, I've always had an issue with it because, like. We've always had sound art, just we used to call it music, you know. <laughs> Suddenly you bring it into a gallery and go, ooh, sound art, you know. But it's like, it's always been there, uh, you know. But also, you know, you know, live shows that we talked about earlier, discussed earlier, they are, you know, installations as well as sound, you know. So they are, you know, we've always had these traditions. It's just the context that changed. But it was really um, great that David did that show because it meant that, people would slowly start uh, appreciating uh, not just sound, but other sense, senses, sensorial material as a form, as, a, as, a, as an artistic gesture. Yes. Because before it was um, just in, it was, you know, it's, it's music is the music industry, you know, it's pop, you know, you just buy records and you listen to them and that's it, you know, they're kind of, now it's even worse, like you just, you know, you, you, the amount of music that you just download and you mm -hmm. listen to once and then it disappears, you never mm -hmm. listen to it again. It's incredible, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but so there's a resistance against that, I guess, with what I'm, with uh, what I'm doing. There's a couple of things that I kind of resist. One is this, that music is disposable that because it's not this is not disposable and the experience of music is physical uh so it's a resistance to this sort of mp3 type thing uh, and the other resistance is this thing that we we're talking discussing earlier about reproduction when you record something you lose the you lose the reality you know the physicalness of it so uh, so not recording my work and actually just making it happen in the space is a resistance to reproduction, you know, yeah. the idea of reproduction. Not that I, I don't have my work reproduced, but which, which I do in both photographic and, and, and recorded uh, acoustic, but it's a resistance against that, you know. You know, it's really funny because lately a lot of the music I've been listening to, if you subscribe to like Apple Music or something for, you know, listening to MP3s, I've been listening to an artist called Celeste, who's quite a new, she's just kind of getting big in the last year or so. Mm. Um, but she had this EP out, um, I think it was called Lately. And, um, oh, I just actually pressed it on mm. in the background there. But I love her so much. I met her the other week, so I got really excited. Are you going to um, play it now? On but, the, on oh, the, no, I don't know. I'll probably get sued by her record label. You can, you can yeah, play yeah. It, yeah. But basically, there's this track she did called Both Sides of the Moon. That was actually why I was just looking it up, because I wanted to make sure I got it right. And I didn't realize when I first... Was it a Pisces moon or an Aquarius moon? I don't know. We'll have to ask her. <laughs> I really want her to come on the show, actually. But, um, um, yeah... Uh, and I said to her the other day, I didn't realise it was live when I first heard it. And I was listening to it on loop, on loop, on loop, on loop. Uh -huh. And it is just the most incredible, incredible track. Because her voice is just like so beautiful in this. But it's because it's live. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting. There is a difference between the recorded versions of her music mm -hmm. and the live ones. That's mm -hmm. why people like live albums, don't they? So they like listening to a... It's just like unreal, this record. Oh, I can hear the electricity. Oh, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, but that's why people live albums of like Dire Straits Live or <coughs> yeah. like Live Aid or whatever. It's like so compelling because you f you can imagine that experience. Yeah, you can imagine there. the experience. You can yeah. project yourself, but also into that you can crowd. feel the soul of it somehow. Well, it's because yeah. you're people that that you're also picking up 
the electricity of all these yes. other human beings mm. experiencing yeah, 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 yeah. that one moment. And it's you know what it is as well? Space. It's vulnerability. I think if you're standing on stage, even if you're the best singer in the world, that minute you step out, it's like you acting. You know, mm. if you're watching a play and I see Russell in Angels in America, the minute he steps on stage, there's an, an electricity because it's like something could go wrong or will I remember my lines or, <laughs> you know, will I remember the words? Yeah, I, right. When I was yeah, singing yeah, in my yeah. band, I used to forget my, my own words yeah, sometimes. Right. And you just be like, so there's always that tension and maybe it's that that vulnerability and that fragility that somehow is so compelling Yeah, and so exciting. Yeah, You know that David Toop show? Sonic Boom, going yeah. back to that quickly. Yeah. The thing I liked that you said was that at the time you had almost a criticism of it, which you discussed with him, I think, which was this idea that they had all these sound works in one big exhibition space and then they were all interfering with each other. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that must have gone on to really influence you because it the way did, you've yeah. gone on, if you look at that show you did in, in France, in Saint-Nazaire, mm. um, at Le Life, like the way that all the different rooms and chambers are interacting with each other yeah. and the way that your works become these huge networks of rooms mm. that can all influence and um, affect each other mm. like a sound being made in one room can actually still affect a, yeah. a sound in another room did that show have that kind of impact it did it did totally and actually uh, you know a, a long time ago but after Sonic Boom I did this project with an artist called Richard Sides and a curator called Tom O'Neans, um which was called Sound Spill and we were just basically it, it was a curatorial project where we'd uh, invite artists to make works and show works well it was usually existing works because it, it sort of made more sense like this um, to occupy a space, but they all had, you know, an element of sound, but we would compose, we would make sure that the work, sounds all work with each other. And it was almost like creating a composition as well. Oh. But not harmoniously. You quite like discord, no, don't you? Or? But yeah, but th these ones were both actually, okay. you know, they were kind of harmonious and discordant. Um, and um, that was kind of a, it was an interesting project just to evolve this practice of, you know, if there are different types of sounds that are existing in a space together, you know, what is that? What is that as a challenge? Uh, do they work harmoniously or discordantly? Mm. And what, you know, are they engineered so one turns on at one time and turns off and then another one, you know, are they choreographed? So, um, yeah, it was like a project. And that was definitely inspired or influenced by... Yeah, like a response to it. Your response to, yeah. yeah, a show like Sonic Boom. Well, wow. definitely Sonic Boom. So every guest who comes on Talk Art, mm -hmm. we ask them two questions. Which yes. You, um, intense. Very intense. So, you know, you better have <laughs> really powerful answers. <laughs> yeah, you should <laughs> <for> this one. <laughs> one is, um, if you could do an art heist and go into a museum or a house or anywhere and steal an artwork and take it home, what would that artwork be? And it doesn't have to be small. It doesn't have to go in your pocket. We can give you cranes and vans and anything you need. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lasers. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going to say something really cheesy. Yeah, go on. It's really cheesy. And that is that I wouldn't want to steal an artwork. If I, you know, because or maybe from a private collection. <laughs> I would go and get yeah, it from yeah, a yeah, private, from private collection. Something that's been Liberated. like hidden away, yeah, yeah. for ages. Um, <laughs> something that's been hidden, not from a museum, because, you know, it's good that works are out and people see them. So yes, yeah, but a, is there okay? You don't have to your, steal okay, it. But is there a touchstone artwork, artwork that you're like, wherever you go, somewhere in the world, yeah. is this painting or this piece of sculpture or, or sound or a video that had a piece big impact like, wow. on your life? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I probably won't even wouldn't have to steal it. You know, I'm sure there's like lots of Fred Sandback works just oh, lying wow. around in a yeah. in a in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably so wouldn't have like to steal it. Yeah, the yarn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could just you know, like a triangle. Yeah, maybe a trapezoid. What are they called? Trapezoids, are they called? Yeah. Um, Lovely. Yeah, something like that, maybe. That would be pretty Wonderful. good. I'd just, I just make it. I wouldn't have to steal it. Wonderful. I just, Is that like a soul look? Are you allowed to recreate things like Soul Lewitt? 
No, I think it's tricky. I mean, people do, you know, I mean, it happens. It's, you know, and, and there's some estates like Calder, they come really you know, down. down how, yeah. yeah. I think you have to, if you're doing it in a public place as well, it has to say after. So you, you people do do works where it's like after somebody. So it's right. like a reference to, but it's not the real thing somehow. Yeah. Can you after someone while they're still alive? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm going to, there's this story and I'm probably going to incriminate so many people in this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, there's this, uh, there's somebody that used to work at Listen Gallery. I don't, I, I don't know her name. Uh, she moved to Bike Cube many years ago. I don't know if she still works there now. Um, but some technicians went to her house. She was having some drinks or whatever. And on her wall, there, there was this nice seal floyer sculpture. And they were like, oh, you, you have this sculpture. She was like, no, I just made it. You know, because it was just like, I don't know. It's like, like the scarf it, one. Or I don't know what it, I think yeah. it was just like matchsticks or something. You oh, know, like okay. a, you know, typical seal floor, you know. And a lot of seals work is like a really simple gesture yeah, on a yeah, very yeah. sort of, you know, mundane <laughs> object. Yeah. And, uh, and she was like, no, I just, I just made it myself. And the cool, you know, I think this is a really incredible thing because... Um, <laughs> She obviously loved the work so much that yeah. she just wanted to have it and she probably couldn't afford the real yeah, thing or, yeah, you know, yeah. didn't want to spend that money and yeah. thought, well, I'm just going to make it anyway. And she wasn't pretending that it was... No, she wasn't her selling it. Sales no, work, but yeah, she yeah. was selling she it or anything. She wanted to know what it felt like to actually More for her own enjoyment. That's yeah. pretty amazing, that's actually. Kind of and I think that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> it's almost like printing out a poster and putting it up on the wall, isn't it? Yeah. It's the equivalent, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah that's really sweet. Um, well, like you could do that with a Richard Tuttle, you could like the yeah, string right. piece and that with a nail. Yeah, and exactly. There's, lot, there's I mean, just many artists that people probably could. I actually thought you were going to say um, Chana Horowitz when I asked I you I already that. have a Chana Horowitz. I know, but I'm going to say, but like, we saw it when we but, yeah, I would love, I would love a, uh, yeah, a real, like a, you know, a large, something that came after Sonic Kinetography. That would be really amazing, yeah. I wouldn't steal it though, that would be... Yeah. It depends who's got it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her, her daughter yeah. looks after the estate now, right? Yeah, yeah. Ellen, yeah, looks after it. I mean, she's really cool and we have a great relationship. And, you know, I, th that work is actually a gift because I don't think I could actually afford one. And, uh, we, yeah, we, you know, we gifted each other works and that's oh. how I... But also you've, you've responded to Chana's work in your work. Yeah. And so that's actually a beautiful thing anyway. That's almost like making your own matchsticks. Yeah, it um, is, it is. It's, it is a, it's, I mean, that is such a amazing relationship because you know i never met chana herself but through her daughter through ellen and through her work i feel like yeah i you know, we know yeah a connection yeah. we know each other somehow um so that's yeah that would be a good one do you know anyone that's got one that i shouldn't that shouldn't i think I it was you. through your work that i first heard about yeah. right. so in a way it's a beautiful thing that you're able to still promote her legacy mm. do you know i what saw I mean? her, through I saw what her show doing. at the listen show when they first took her on two years ago yeah in new york and I was, I was, I thought it was amazing. But yeah. Aside from being kind of cryptic, they're, they're like beautiful. Yeah, like totally. visually. Yeah, visually, they're just amazing, yeah. you know. And then there's all that depth of, you know, yeah. the codes and the, the I sometimes feel the same looking at them as I do looking at like Agnes Martin or something. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah totally. Like, there's just something so perfect. It's so them. honest. And if anybody and else perfect. did it, it would be terrible. Mm. But these artists are just mm. so good at what they do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it's incredible. That's why they're the great. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other question we ask everyone, and this is the toughest one, is what is your favourite colour? Orange. Oh, Ooh, straight in. Yeah. Rob loves orange just, as well. Yeah, orange is my favourite colour. good colour. I don't, I don't so know why. So does Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Because I love Rose Wiley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great. 
So orange. So well, yeah, orange. I don't because I just behind you. There's an orange hat. <laughs> so, yeah. I, no. I, funnily enough, find orange to be an incredibly invigorating. Yeah, your socks, I just, your socks are an you're, orange. You're, no, no, you've got a red jumper. But, but, I, but I wear. If I wear orange, I feel completely energized. Yeah, me too. I just I feel like it's a really energetic. I know, but I think it almost nice creates color. waves or something. There's something about that color that like resonates. Ooh. Yeah, but you know the colors are kind of fascinating because yeah, you do feel different if you wear. A diff, a certain, different certain colors yeah. and also um you're really influenced by color as well i did this project a long time ago this is this is a weird thing uh where i was actually helping other eyes it wasn't my project um and um it was this like design company called flower anyway they had this mural this mural on the wall uh which was not colored in and there was this color test that somebody had to do basically to to have a really quick response to what their favorite color is not about your favorite color it's like what color you're like excited about mm -hmm. two colors flash on a screen and you have to choose between oh, I love those sorts and, of you, things. and yeah you know there's like i don't know it happens like 20 times and then it comes up with what your color is then you can paint on the wall anyway i was helping them by documenting this whole thing and i documented it and whatever looked at the photos afterwards and i noticed that the majority of the time if somebody was painting green they were wearing green. Or if somebody painted yellow, they were wearing yellow. It was just this kind of, and I don't know if it was because, oh, green or yellow is their favorite color, or that, They've been you know, they're just yeah. like, you know, because of what they're wearing, they're more likely to go towards Save that, that color. color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It was kind of fascinating. Wow. It was Uri Geller, the guy who bends spoons. Yeah, spoon When bender. I was growing up, he yeah. was the one that initially told me about orange. And I think that uh -huh. had such a big impact on me. His description of why orange was a good colour really impacted my, my teenage years. Uh -huh. And it was something to do, though, with positive well, mentality. Because, you know, he has a lot of, like, not self-help books, but he, does, he he's sort of a someone that's trying to inspire people to do good or whatever. You yeah. Know? Um, but he, I remember him telling me about orange has this energy oh, that will right. sort of be positive in your life and make you a better person or something. Nice. And that, that really stuck with me. Did he and say also orange lenses, from? if you wore, he gave me some sunglasses that had orange <laughs> lenses from the 70s, like these Porsche sunglasses. They're amazing. And I've still got them. And it, he said if you wore that, and you saw the world through orange, it would make you like positive. It's really interesting. Ah. Yeah. I just okay. thought I'd throw that I've in. I've never there. seen you in them sunglasses. Babes, they're in my are they um, like, they're in my drawer at home. Are they wow. around? Uh, are they no, like, they're, they're kind of like Porsche ones, so they're kind oh, of like, oh, like oh, almost like, like Porsche ones. I was supposed to know what Porsche ones are like. What do you, you know, mean? aviator kind of oh, aviator. Porsche. Oh. The anyway, they're a design. It's a design. So, <laughs> Well, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> on that note, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, for wow. You're welcome. This so, has been fun. You are it's really It's been such a privilege cool. to speak with you. And um, <laughs> I really hope in the future we can do this again, like yeah. check in in like five years' time and uh, yeah, why see not? where we're at. I would love that. Yeah, right. Um, but Haroon Mirza, <laughs> A bit older, a bit greyer. Thank you so, so, so much. much. So, You're so welcome. Much. Um, you can look in. at our Instagram for images of everything we've spoken about today, at TalkArt, and we will be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Big love. Bye. 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 You've been listening to TalkArt with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to TalkArt on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com